0: School's out, summer started, it's a good day, right? Uh, We're going to finish up our study of Jonah this morning. And as we do, I want to highlight something that maybe you've picked up on. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the book of Jonah seems to stimulate more questions than it provides answers. For example, when you look at the five-word prophecy of Jonah, when he goes into Nineveh, you think, that's never going to work, is it? And then when it does, it asks the you kind of ask yourself, well, how did that happen, right? Or what about the great fish or even that repentance of the Ninevites? Don't, doesn't it kind of stir that question of, could that be true? Or when God shows mercy to Israel's enemy, we ask ourselves, well, is that really fair? See, all throughout the book of Jonah, these implied questions are kind of, throughout the story. In fact, the ironies that we've talked about are what creates these probing questions. I think it's one of the main purposes of the book of Jonah. In fact, as we'll see this morning, the book of Jonah ends with a question that it doesn't even provide an answer for. And personally, I think that's because God intends for us to answer that question in our own lives based on what we've learned. It reminds me of a staff meeting we had recently where Jason uh, walked us through Bloom's taxonomy of the six levels of learning. Boy, doesn't that sound exciting. But it actually really was. Jason did a great job of kind of bringing it home to to practical use within our efforts to raise up the next generation of Christian disciples. It, It helped us understand that uh, learning is more than just acquiring knowledge. Just because, just because you can recall information doesn't necessarily mean you know how to apply that information. All learning requires a context. A place where real truth is applied to real problems. This is why the student ministry has been doing what they've done over the last several months where they look at case studies. Those case studies have been created by parents and volunteers who've lived a little bit of life, and they're creating scenarios that many of the students probably haven't experienced yet. And so they're talking about how to apply truth into those real-life situations. I think this is the reason behind the point that, that Jesus told so many parables throughout the life of His ministry. He was teaching the listener how to apply real truth in real life situations. In many ways, he's creating case studies. And if you'll notice, many of those parables that he told were filled with questions. I mean, just think to the one we talked about last week in Matthew 20, right? The landowner and the servants, there towards the end, the landowner asked this question. Are you jealous because I'm generous? You see, that question gets at the very heart of what that parable was intended to teach. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. There was a question asked by someone who asked, Well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus then tells the parable, and then he asked the question, Which one proves to be the neighbor? You see, The answer was obvious by the time he got through with the parable, but he wanted the listener to answer that question for themselves. All throughout his ministry, Jesus asked questions, didn't he? Why do you doubt? Where's your faith? Do you want to be healed? These are just a sample of the questions that are asked all throughout the New Testament. In fact, this summer... That's what we're going to look at together are the the questions Jesus asks, And, and that'll be a fun study for us. But my point this morning is that the questions that we see in the book of Jonah are a powerful tool for learning. And so the question for us is, well, what is that main question within the book of Jonah? There's many, but I think the primary question is this. What is God really like? Is it what we expect or is it something different? I've told you from the very beginning that God is the central character in the story of Jonah. So what do we learn about who he is and what his character is like? It's important to look closely because what we learn in the book of Jonah about who God is is then revealed in the life of Jesus Christ the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his nature so that when we see Jesus we see God and so what we learn in the book of Jonah is then literally fleshed out in the life of Christ and so the two are deeply connected and we don't want to miss that point so before we finish up this morning let's go to the Lord in prayer God, it has been good to spend time in such an amazing story, so well known, um, so popular both inside and outside of the Christian church, and yet probably one of the more misunderstood books in the Bible. Because we're not looking behind this fascinating story to God, to you, the central character of it all. So this morning, as we finish up looking at your word, would you take the truths that you intended to teach us about yourself? And would you cause those to sink deeply into our hearts so that in some really miraculous way they would transform how we live? Father, this is our prayer. We know you hear us. We know you are with us. So by your spirit, will you guide us? And we pray this in your name. Amen. So to Jonah, chapter 4. And we'll pick up where we left off last in, in verse 4. So Jonah, chapter 4, verse 4. It begins, as the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went from the city and set out east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Isn't it interesting that our passage begins with a question? God asked Jonah in verse 4, Jonah, is it good for you to burn with anger? That's what this is literally asking. You remember, Jonah is beside himself upset. With the response of the Ninevites and his condemnation of God was, See, I told you so. I knew you were merciful and great in loving kindness. And given the opportunity, the Ninevites would repent. And that made him burn with anger. So God asked him a question. Jonah, do you have the right to burn with such anger? See, what God is wanting Jonah to do is examine his heart, to look beyond the emotion, to discover the reason for his anger. Now, I don't know about you, but after all of Jonah's shenanigans, (laughs) I think God is being remarkably patient, especially since Jonah doesn't even give him an answer to the question. You'll notice he just sulks in silence, He doesn't say a word. And so God creates a parable in order to teach Jonah a lesson. In a sense, he's creating a context in order to teach an important truth. Instead of heading home, it tells us that Jonah decides to set up shop there Uh, just east of Nineveh, a place where he has a good vantage point to to see what was happening in the city, but not so close in case God decided to bring down judgment, he would be a safe distance away. And so he sets up a a hut. We know that Jonah is actually hoping to see the Ninevites return to their wicked ways. And when they do, he fully anticipates that God will be able to bring down his judgment and he wants to be there for the show. That's what he's holding out for. And don't miss the fact that instead of examining the the corruption in his own sinful heart, Jonah chooses to pass judgment on the heart of others. And the reason I think that's important is because I believe The same temptation is true for you and I. The less we are confronted with the humbling truth of God's word, the more self-righteous we become in our judgment of others, right? Part of the reason God gave us his word is for us to use it in a way that would allow us to examine our own hearts so that it would change or impact the way we live out those truths that's why the book of James says if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like the whole point to that message is that this person is looking into God's word but he's not allowing God's word to look into him to examine his heart And that's exactly what's happening with Jonah. He is looking in judgment with self-righteous anger. And the more he observes their repentance, the more his anger burns. And the heat of that anger is only made worse by the heat of the sun. That little hut that Jonah built may have provided some relief, but not much. Because keep in mind, he's in the Assyrian desert. So God, we learn, graciously appoints a plant to grow up and give Jonah some additional shade. It's that same word that we saw in the beginning when God appointed the great fish. But in this case, he appoints a small plant. What that little statement reminds us is that God is the God of all creation, both great And small. And he is using the plant to help Jonah answer a question that he's trying to ignore. According to verse 6, Jonah's response to this divinely appointed plant is extreme happiness. My version says that he was extremely happy. In the original context, it says, Jonah rejoiced over the plant with great rejoicing. Anytime you see a repetition of terms like that, it's trying to magnify the impact of what's being said. So in other words, Jonah is delirious with joy. We see no other description of this kind of emotion throughout the story of Jonah. Nothing has made Jonah happier than when something good has happened to him. And don't miss the irony. Jonah is rejoicing over his own deliverance while being repulsed at the deliverance given to the Ninevites. Look at verse 7. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. So the sun goes down, Jonah rests for the night, but he does wake up in hopeful anticipation of Nineveh's judgment. But in the same way that God appointed this plant to grow, he now appoints a worm to destroy that plant. In the midst of it all, in both blessing and curse, in great and small, God is in control. Don't miss that point. If in the turmoil and in the peace, when the storm raged, when the waters calmed, God was in control. And don't miss a point that in the midst of all of those things, He was using them to accomplish a good purpose. So the worm starts feeding. And very quickly, the plant is destroyed. Now Jonah is left to his own devices. And that, too, is about to change because God literally is going to turn up the heat by sending this scorching east wind. This is a common phenomenon in this area. It probably happens even to this day. But Jonah is ill-prepared to endure it on his own. This would be like opening the blast door to a hot furnace. All the temperature would begin to rise, and as the temperature rises, the humidity would dissipate. It would literally suck the moisture right out of your body. So whatever shelter Jonah might have had is probably destroyed by now because those east winds were known to, to reach up to 60 miles per hour, which that's no big deal, this part of the world, right? Right? <laughs> So we can appreciate the fact that this was not a pleasant experience for Jonah. As a result, he was miserable, probably experiencing the the symptoms of dehydration, maybe even sunstroke. How many of you have ever been really dehydrated before? If you have, you know that's one of the most miserable experiences you can have. It it can even be a life-threatening experience. Verse 8 says that Jonah was faint to the point that he was begging God to just let him die. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Severe dehydration causes dizziness and confusion. It creates massive headaches to the point that it causes you to vomit, which only makes your dehydration even worse. Your heart starts racing. Your blood pressure rises. You start to run a fever, which will then cause seizures to occur. Like I said, when Jonah says he wants to die, I don't think that's an exaggeration. He can't break free of what now controls him. I hope you couldn't tell, but last Sunday I was in a pretty hard place myself. Not anything compared to Jonah, of course, but it was still difficult. I've struggled with migraines for many years now, and for the most part, meds have been able to keep things under control, but for whatever reason, last Sunday... That didn't happen. So I was in my, uh, my closet on the floor until church started. And God gave me just enough to do what I needed to do on Sunday morning, but I was pretty much worthless for the rest of the day. And I'll be honest, migraines absolutely terrify me because I've been in this place before where I've been in so much discomfort and pain death would have been a welcome relief. And so in many ways I can empathize with what Jonah may be experiencing. He's controlled by a misery from which he cannot escape to the point that even death would be a welcome relief. Look at how it continues in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, "Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant?" And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well As many animals. In the midst of Jonah's misery, God rephrases his original question. He says, Do you have the right to burn with anger about this plant? That little nuance starts to drill down to the heart of the issue. Unlike the first question, Jonah answers this one immediately with an affirmative Yes, I have a right to be angry. Yes, even to the point of death. And why? We know that plant helped preserve his life. So God says this He says, You're angry at the plant because of what it did for you. You cared about the plant because it was a blessing in your life, you had compassion on something that you did not create that you did not nurture, that you did not cause to grow. The plant was a gift of grace, and you rejoiced with great rejoicing. You see, God then uses an argument that is very common throughout the Bible. It's very common in the parables in particular. It's, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. God is asking Jonah this question. Jonah? Jonah? Which is more important? Compassion towards a plant, the lesser. Or compassion towards people, the greater. God has just exposed the reality. That Jonah was more concerned with his own comfort than the Ninevite's salvation. He gives more value to the temporal than he does the eternal. He's rejoicing in God's grace in his own life while rejecting that same grace when applied to the lives of others. And here's why. Jonah saw two categories of people in the world. Those who are worthy and those who are not. But hear me clearly on this. God only sees one category of people. Those who are not. Those who are not worthy and are only saved by grace. Jonah and the Ninevites are equal recipients of God's unmerited favor. See, God doesn't play favorites. He's not quick to judge. He's patient. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. His desire for his creation is salvation, not destruction. Yes, God will act in justice against sin. But the character of God causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully. He has compassion on even the most unworthy of the world, including you and I. And that's what we learn from the book of Jonah. That is the heart of the God we serve. You see, it should be important to us. Because God knows our hearts as well. Even those hidden places that no one else knows. And yet, he still loves us anyway. God knew each of the Ninevites by name. He created them. He knew their stories. He knew their number. And he knew that they were trapped in a lifestyle of sin. Verse 11 says that they didn't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. That's an idiom that's used to describe those who are morally bankrupt. Those that did not live by a divinely appointed moral standard. The Ninevites simply did what was right in their own eyes. And as a result, they were dead in their trespasses and sin. But instead of leaving them to themselves, God intervened. He had compassion on those He created. He offered forgiveness in the midst of their sin. And by confessing their sin, the the Ninevites acknowledged their need. And as a result, they encountered a gracious and compassionate God, just as Jonah knew they would, slow to anger, great and loving kindness, a God who forgives sin. See, the story of the Ninevites is our story as well. We are recipients equally. Of God's grace. So that question that the story of Jonah now asks is left unanswered. The book is left somewhat open-ended. Does God have the right to have compassion on what he has created? And so we even wonder maybe, well, what did Jonah do? I don't think that question's answered because it's not the most important question. The most important question is what are we going to do? What is our response? What have we learned about God that we then see lived out in the life of Christ? You see, as God was revealed in the book of Jonah, we too see the evidence of his compassion in the life of Christ. You remember that there was a time where he looked upon a crowd of people much like this, and it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Some were lost, some were wandering aimlessly, some were hurt, and we know that he loved them all. He even looked upon those who drove nails in his hands and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They are lost in a life of sin. But instead of leaving those people to themselves, Jesus brought deliverance. He offered grace in the midst of their sin. See, Jesus promises forgiveness in response to our confession. He rescues us from the wrath of God's judgment by taking that judgment upon himself. And we've talked about all throughout the story of Jonah, how those truths are made known. And so I'm convinced that for the m- most part, I'm not telling you anything that you didn't already know. But like we said in the beginning, knowledge in and of itself is insufficient. What's more important is how that knowledge impacts how you live. And I want to give you an example that I had this week that I think helps illustrate this point. I had the privilege of sitting down with Claire Bruffy. I wrote about her in the bulletin. encourage you to take a look at that. But in my conversation with Claire, she was really excited about this next season of her life as she's now graduated from LCU. But she was honest about the reality that many of her friends who want to do what she wants to do and teach and and do that kind of thing are getting jobs that now she's not going to be able to get because she's chosen to do something a little bit different. She wants to teach, but in a little different setting. Her heart for the lost weighs heavier than starting her career. And Claire is looking to the church to discern God's will for her life because doing God's will is more important to Claire than following the crowd. This summer, Claire is going to go into Thailand for a number of weeks in which she's going to live with a family who uh, basically has uh, kids that have been rescued from human trafficking, or abuse from the drug industry, and she's going to love on those kids. And while she's there, she's going to go over from Thailand into Cambodia, and she's going to minister to and love on those who are hurting in that part of the world. And then while she's there, she's going to spend time in the villages that surround the place where she's going to live to love on those who are hurting and in need of God's love. As Claire goes through this process, she is looking to the church to guide her. She told me that her experience with the missions team has been incredibly helpful. This was one of the things that she told me that really struck me. She said, you know, after all, this is about us, not me. She said, I feel protected by their guidance and partnership through this process. I tell you this because I believe this is a good example Of what it looks like to apply real truth to real life. Because Claire understands the heart of God. And so she is aligning her life with what she believes God's will is for her life. She's setting aside her plan in order to follow God's lead. It's a bold step of faith. But here beyond this, Claire is willing to do it because she trusts God's Unlike Jonah, she is forsaking the comfort of a predictable life in order to share God's love with those in need. And here's my conviction. I truly believe if more of us understood God's heart for the world, more of us would be willing to do the same. Should God have compassion on all his creation? Is there room for forgiveness and grace among the lost and the hurting in the world? Well, the truth is the world is going to answer that question by what they see in us. They will learn about God's heart through what is made evident in the lives of God's people. And Just a little bit of a word of caution here. I don't want you to hear what I just said and say to yourself, you know, I probably should be more Consistent in sharing my faith. That's important. But that's not the main point. Remember I told you Claire made a very insightful statement when she said this is not about me. This is about us. God gave the great commission to the church. To all of us. This is the place where we discern God's will for all of our lives. This is the place where we have safety and protection Because we're guarded by God's truth as we live in fellowship with one another. This is the context where we learn to apply God's truth to real life problems. Living in community is a prerequisite to fulfilling the Great Commission. Until we're faithful in this context, we really have no business going out into the next. I think one of the Reasons that Jonah's life was such a roller coaster. And think about this. I, I just thought about this when I visited with Claire and then compared that to what I was seeing in the story of Jonah. You can check me on it. But within the story of Jonah, I never saw a single point where he was interacting with anyone else in the community of faith. He was a maverick, a lone ranger, discerning God's will and reacting by selfish motives on his own. And I think that was one of the main problems that he had because of the roller coaster path of his faith. Our fellowship with one another is what grounds us in the truth. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about us. The Great Commission has been given to the church. And it's our obligation as the people of God to demonstrate the heart of God to the world around us. And I believe the more we understand God's heart for the world, the more you and I will be willing to do what Claire has decided to do. Let's pray together. Father, we listen to that question. Do you have a right to have compassion on your creation? And that answer is obvious to us. And the reason it's obvious is because we are the recipients of that compassion. We have been saved by grace through faith. So when we think about how Jonah answers that question in his own life, may we be spurred on to answer it in our life as well. Is there room for God's forgiveness and grace among the lost and hurting in the world? May we come to the conviction that the answer to that question that the world is asking is ultimately seen in the ministry of the church, the people of God who've been called by God to go extend his love to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, help us be so compelled by what we know and learn about your heart that we cannot be restrained from going out against what the world may consider to be the right thing to do, to do what's right in your eyes. Father, lead us and guide us. It's by your strength and in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day.